You're listening to Four at the Back with Joe, Maz, Neil and Pete, where we look back at our favourite football sides from the Premier League era. From champagne football to shambolic debacles, each week we'll take a nostalgic view of some of the most memorable squads from the annals of our footballing fandom. It'll be light-hearted, fairly shaky on the facts, but who cares? Relive your youth and go with Four at the Back. <laughs> Welcome back to Four at the Back. Uh, into the second half we go, and uh, we're doing something a little bit different um, today. We're going to have a look at the Brazilian national team uh, and their run probably between 1998 to 2002. Before we go into 1998 and 2002, we kind of have to look a little bit further back. Brazil won the World Cup in 1994. Uh, in the United States, uh, and it was kind of uh, it, the, the the team was, I suppose, at the end in a way, uh, or certain certain aspects of the team were at the end in a way. So let's set the scene. What's sort of going on with the with this team uh, come 1994? I think you have to look at it in the context of where they've been. Uh, well, if you want to be really thorough about it, you can go back all the way to 1970. But I don't think you have to go all the way back that far. Uh, the 1980s will do us because uh, we don't want to spend too much time uh, getting into the mire of, of, of history. Uh, the, the 1980s have produced some majestic Brazilian teams, but they hadn't actually delivered a World Cup. And I, I would have to look it up. I don't think they, they delivered a great deal trophy-wise. Uh, someone might be able to correct me on that. But during the late 1980s, because they've had these high-profile failures in 1982 and 86, there's this move to Europeanize, is the word they use, the Brazilian national team. And this is where in this late late 80s period, you start to see a lot of very familiar names coming through. They're names that all figure in Brazil across the 1990s. Uh, You start to see Rai, Ricardo Roca, but bigger names like Romario and Dunga and Jorginho, these legendary names start to break through. They go to the Copa America in 87. They win the silver medal at the Seoul Olympics in 1988. And then they finally win the Copa America in Brazil in 1989. So by the time you get to the 1990 World Cup, this Europeanized model is, although it's seen as sacrilege by some in Brazil, it's really got people optimistic again that they might actually win something. And then lo and behold, they go to the 1990 World Cup. Uh, they win every game in the group, just as they had in the previous two, and get knocked out in the first group stage by Argentina. So that was obviously Argentina, where with a, a Maradona still pretty close to the peak of his powers. And so, you know, perhaps, you know, they were underdogs for that game. You know, Argentina were the, the reigning um, world champions and, you know, made it all the way to the final again, you know, to, only to lose to, to West Germany. But I think that that 1990 Brazil team is the foundation of the the 94 team that go on um, and win it. Like, as you say, Dunga in particular was the real linchpin player there. And he was, I suppose, the, the absolute um, epitome of having that very... European central defensive midfielder that just screened everything 
um, out and, you know, allowed, you know, still some very talented forwards, the, the, the platform to go and play. And so by the time you get to, to 94, um, you know, they have a, basically a very, very solid um, team. And it's not a particularly spectacular Brazil team, that 94 team. And they just, they're just very, very efficient. I mean, the fact that the final against Italy you know, is a is a, a nil nil that that uh, that goes to penalties. I think probably says you know says quite a lot about um, about what kind of team they were. And yeah, indeed, I mean, what, what kind of team Italy were. <laughs> like like Neil said, it, it, it's that base. It's that that double double in central midfield uh, of Dunga and uh, uh, Mauro Silva, as it was in '94. And you know, that's you're so used to seeing, you know throughout that time where they they weren't successful you you, you had your your Socrateses and your Zico's in there who were absolutely fantastic players and you know but they needed that base it, it it's almost like you know you build a you build a great team from the back and Brazilian flair alone you know wasn't going to win a world cup come that stage and you know that that foundation really worked. It's interesting. In '94, they started with Rai as the captain, who was a lot more in that mould of a classic Brazilian centre mid, attacking. You know, flair, silky skill, and he he loses his place, loses his place. Armband goes to Dunga, and they just, you know, they power through. And there were some good stories in that in that World Cup, but you know, it's what. Where they did have the the flair was up front with Romario, who's you know Romario in his prime, his touch. I mean, seeing him dribble the ball, he dribbles that ball closer to his foot than anyone that I've ever seen. You know, I include you know Maradonas and Messi's in there. The ball doesn't look like it leaves his foot for a second. I love his, he... um, all of his, all of his outside the foot finishes as well. Yeah, little you know, like and... yeah, <laughs> yeah. toe pokes, you know, and it was just. I mean, against Holland, yeah, that the the the, the finish against Holland is, is is unbelievable. Looking looking back at that, and I watched that weirdly during lockdown. I watched that um, Holland Brazil quarter final um, <laughs> from '94 um, on the uh, the How FIFA website, which you can actually you know watch pretty much whatever you want to sort of anything they've got footage of you can actually go and watch on the FIFA website which is a good tip for people um but um it was a really interesting game because you know that 94 Dutch team was obviously incredibly talented you know again you got Bergkamp um just coming into his prime you know and and, and obviously all that IX class the Boers and everyone else um and it's a fascinating tactical game and it's really 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 cat and mouse and it it watches a lot like a kind of latter day Champions League game, like very, very tactical, very cautious, you know, and Brazil sort of narrowly come out on top there. Um, surprisingly physical game as well. Like, I mean, they're they're hacking each other down. Like there's one challenge on Bergkamp, which is like, you know, you'd probably get a attempted murder charge for nowadays. The thing I remember most is um, that he lit up the tournament in, in a way that meant that when the final reckoning was held, there was this real cult of Romario that spread around Europe. And I remember the uh, the BBC summary of the event was that it was a fairly, not average, but not a spectacular Brazilian team lit up by the genius of, of one player, I think was how Barry Davis summed it up. The other side of Romario, of course, was that he was the size enfant terrible. Uh, and he almost got left out of the World Cup. 
uh, entirely. He almost never didn't go. Uh, it was 1992, I think, where he complained about being dragged across the Atlantic to play in a re- what amounted to a reserve game from, I assume he would have been at PSV at the time. Um, I, I forget exactly what his club trajectory was, but uh, he, he made a, a right stink about it anyway. And um, the Pereira uh, said he wouldn't play him again. And he only relented in September of 1993 when there was a massive Brazilian striker shortage and public demand to play Romario got to be so overwhelming that he had to relent. And he not only called him up to the squad, he put him straight in the side and, and he never looked back. It was Romario and Bebeto from then on out. Uh, interestingly as well, you know, this this is the World Cup where they take a 17-year-old uh, Ronaldo uh, to the World Cup and he just he sits on the bench for the whole thing. Um and it's it's one of those great quiz questions, isn't it? You know, you know how many how many World Cup medals did Ronaldo win? And most people would forget that he actually you know had has two because he sat on the bench for one of them. Um, yeah, a lot of hype around him, but yeah, they 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 never got to we never got to see it at that uh, at that point. It's a bit like Theo Walcott, isn't it? Didn't quite go in the same direction, did it? Theo Walcott, the English Ronaldo, is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's what Ob- sped up as he thought. Obvious troll is obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Matt, you said a while ago, I mean, we've, we focused on Romario and obviously formed this great partnership with Bebeto, but you said a little while ago that Brazilian teams were now going to have to be based around the back. And one of the things that you see developed from the Seoul Olympics and, and through those Copa Americas is the defensive players coming through. And they don't always get the same level of attention when it comes to Brazilian football. But you, you these names that start to develop through the late 80s, Tafarel is in goal for a lot of this run that I'm talking about. Uh, Aldair is involved from about 1989. Uh, the 1991 Copa America, you start to see Marcio Santos, Mauro Silva, and, and even Cafu start to appear by this point. So there's a lot of names that are going to be in and around yeah. Brazil at 1994 and in the case of Cafu going on into 1998 and, and 2002. Yeah, Cafu I mean, was Mar- a wonderful player, wasn't he? Mar- Marcio Santos was was amazing in '94. R- really good tournament, really solid at the back, and um, yeah, Cafu was was back up in '94. So he he came on a few times, but was, was back up to Jorginho basically at that point. But uh, yeah, and uh, of course my my favourite, uh, you had uh, Leonardo going in as first choice left back, who you know would eventually become a, a much more attacking player for Milan and go to the World Cup again in uh, down the line. Was, was he in 98, I think? He was 98, the yeah. He, he's the starting left winger in 98. Right. But <laughs> yeah, he, he, he loses his place when he elbows an American in the face, which, uh, yeah, I, I still get mad about that one till today. It's like... The guy was basically pulling at his shirt, so he's like flung an arm out to get rid of him and elbowed him in the face, and uh, he's gone down like a sack of spuds. He he did have a broke his orbital bone, I believe, or something like that. But you shouldn't pull on someone's shirt, then, should you? You know, that's my view. Not not as bad as the one that Enrique got in the face that that tournament. Uh, Leonardo got shifted to left back when they had to rejig their defence. Um, the very first game, Ricardo Rocco was the most established of their defenders. Um, 
limped out of a back three and they they never quite looked settled after that at the back. They, there was a lot of chopping and changing. I mean, they were still good enough. They didn't concede a, a hat load of goals. Um, but Leonardo came in and then obviously got sent off. So Branco, who um, is probably best known to, to English football fans for that weird little cameo he had at Middlesbrough. I mean, Branco uh, was a, a brilliant player. I mean, he, ben, oh, yeah. at, yeah, at yeah. 90, he was, he was their sort of main man um at, at the back and obviously he before even roberto carlos he was known as the you know brazilian defender that could smash a free kick from yeah miles and miles out or you know have a a mad shot from 35 yards that sort of arrows in the top corner every now and again but mostly straight into the stands yeah um, i think the, the word i left out of that sense was the younger english fans i think as uh, by 1996 he was probably a spent force i think it's fair to say <laughs> just a little bit yeah yeah, yeah he was Pretty old by in '94, wasn't he? He was it's definitely 30, the, I think. Definitely yeah, one of the 30. older players in the team. Yeah, but, but they moved from a three at the back to a four at the back with with Leonardo and all the and Branco and Cafu playing, and then uh, Jorginho, Marcio Santos, and Aldeira are the regulars that these other people uh, fit around with the two shields in front, as you say, that basically give everybody else license to go out and play. Yeah, and then the Zinios ran the wings essentially, and you know. You've got an absolutely insanely talented, you know, striker and Bebeto who would prove to be, you know, one of the greatest, you know, support strikers in in the history of world football. Very, uh, very intelligent player, Bebeto, wasn't he? It was funny. Yeah. Like, during that tournament was was when he, you know, he really got noticed by um by European fans. I think he was playing for. He was playing for Deportivo, Deportivo at the time, think, yeah. before Deportivo started become successful in Europe, because it was about maybe probably about four years after this that Deportivo regularly started qualifying for the UEFA Cup and the Champions League. I think at this point they're still pretty much a you know a mid-table Spanish team, so it wasn't really like you know it was still the era in '94 where you didn't really see these players outside of World Cups unless they were playing in Italy because obviously they were showing Italian football. Um, on Channel 4 at the time. But other than that, you know, or if you were lucky enough to have Sky, I guess you would have seen a bit, a bit of La Liga. But they, you know, the World Cup is still special because you you really only got to see these players at that, you know, that kind of platform. So, you know, it was kind of, you, you'd sometimes see a player at a World Cup, think that you really liked them, and then you'd be waiting for them four years later and they wouldn't be in the team anymore and you'd be disappointed. So, this team obviously goes on and wins the World Cup in in 1994, and you know, as, and I think uh, Pete, I watched the same BBC recap that, that you did, and, and Barry Davis, he, he points out that you know, Romario is the star of the show. Um, somewhere along the line, Romario is is no longer the considered as important to the side as as he was, as he doesn't make the 1998 World Cup squad. So what happens between 94 and 98? Oh, that's a story. What's happened? Oh, <laughs> quite a lot of things happened. Yeah. I mean, 95 is a bit of a weird um, weird year for them. They don't really do... Well, they reached the final of the Copa America, but by the standard that they're going to set over the next few years, that's actually a bit of a lean year. Um, what Ronaldo obviously goes to 94 as the uh, prodigy. The kid doesn't really get a look in, but by... 1996 he's earmarked as probably the greatest player in the world in waiting if not in fact 
Uh, Brazil are lining up with what they called the Roro attack uh, at this point of Romario and, and Ronaldo. There's a little bit of rotation because Edmundo will sometimes play instead of Romario. But generally speaking, the Roro attack is the, is the way that Brazil want to line up if they can. Um, now, the problem with that mainly is that Romario is still completely crazy and he's, he's as much of a headache for coaches as he would always be. Um that team smashed the, the 1997 Copa America completely, and, and they also win the, Co- uh, the Confederations Cup in that year. So Brazil are going very well at this point. But in 1998, he gets a, I want to say it's a hamstring in, uh, injury. And it's, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very much at the 11th hour they decide they can't risk it. They're going to leave him out. Um, and they don't call up another striker. They go with... Uh, Ronaldo, Edmundo, and Bebeto, and you know the Danielson will have to cover the, the the fourth kind of striker berth. The best story about this is that Romario's mother consulted a um, a medium who was supposed to have some connection to some doctor in the other world in order to try and heal Romario's injured hamstring through divine intervention or whatever. But believe it or not, that didn't work and they had to leave him out. So that's why Romario is is missing come 1998. I mean, by, um, I mean, the, one of the yeah, really interesting things about this sort of 98 campaign generally, as you say, is like Ronaldo is, you know, by 98, the world's best player um, and the team's very much built around him. But you've also got Rivaldo, who, you know, was sort of, um, I guess, almost supplanted uh, by Ronaldo as that sort of, you know, next great Brazilian star and was obviously a brilliant player in his own right, um, particularly at Barcelona. And so you've kind of got, um, you know, Rivaldo on the left wing, but kind of more playing a number 10 role, uh, sort of supplying the ammo for Ronaldo. But it's interesting, again, like the 98 team, because they, they weren't necessarily like, you know, the most fluid team. And if you look at, at how they played, particularly in the group stage, you know, they struggled to beat Scotland, which is which is pretty hilarious in itself and only did so, you know, because of an own goal. And then, um, you know, they lose to Norway in the group stage. Um, you know, good old Tor Andre Flo scoring against them. What hell of a dive he took on that penalty as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they get, they only really start to hit their form, you know, come the round of 16. Um, and they, they smash Chile 4-1. Um, that was a very good Chile team, actually, with Marcelo Salas and Sal- Ivan Zamorano. Yeah. Um, but then they struggle against uh, a very game Denmark team. And, you know, they win a sort of clown game 3-2. I remember that, that game was just completely bonkers. Um, and then were very, very lucky to get away uh, with a penalties um, win against uh, a brilliant Dutch team, which to be honest, that game Holland should have won. And it's only because Holland are probably the worst bottlers in world football that, uh, <laughs> that Brazil came through that. So it, it, it wasn't a particularly smooth path to that final. Um, and I think there was something so much like, written in the stars about France and that World Cup because everything just went right for them. And even when, you know, seemingly disastrous stuff happened, you know, like, uh, was it Blanc that got sent off? Blanc got sent really, off in the uh, semi-final. Yeah. By, by uh, Bil- Bilic just like acted like Blanc had shot him. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, 
and then and then missed the final. Uh, didn't 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 Zidane get a ban in the group stage? I think. Yeah, Zidane did a stamp in the second group game against Saudi Arabia of all things. Yeah, and he was you know, he was no matter what they didn't have a goal scorer, but they just every no, round the, just sailed the, through. Duggery got got injured early on, didn't he? And they struggled. They had Givash up front. There you go, the, Joe. <laughs> the oh, Emil Heskey of France. Yeah, shocking, really. absolutely shocking. And you know. Funny thing is, they've got a young Thierry Henry on there, but you know he's still a winger at that point. He hasn't played right wing, yeah. Mm. And you know he 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 scored a couple of goals here and there during the tournament, but you know he wasn't that number nine. You know, and that's what they lacked in that tournament. (laughs) They didn't even take. I don't think they even took an Elka, did they? Did they take an Elka? An Elka got cut in the in the (laughs) pits, and and that was the Anelka document on net. Watch it one day; it's fantastic. That's a double. That's the double winning Anelka as well. You know, he's literally just won the double with Arsenal, hasn't he? Like as the sort yeah. of most decisive player, and he gets left out of the World Cup, which is pretty mad. But I guess they won it, so you can't really complain too much. But it's funny because a lot of people, you know, looking back with this amount of distance, would say that you know the what happened to Ronaldo in the dressing room before that World Cup final was sort of decisive for Brazil losing that game, but. You know, in reality, they didn't. I I never thought they looked like a likely World Cup winning team, really through that whole tournament. No, you know they they had the base again. You've you've got Caesar Sampaio who who's replaced Mauro Silva there, and you know you've got Aldair and Junior Baiano at the back. You know you've got a very very talented pair of left backs. Uh, for a pair of fullbacks in Cafu and and Roberto Carlos, um, yeah, you've got Danielson, who's the hot youngster at this point, but never really got it together. You know, you, you've got Leonardo, who's not made as much of an impact here as as he has, and the supporting cast aren't quite as. Uh, strong, I don't think during that year. You know what you're you're pretty much relying on Rivaldo, Ronaldo, and Bebeto again. Mm-hmm. There wasn't uh, really a squad, that... was there? I mean, they they didn't really have a bench. You know, outside of yeah, outside of their first eleven. If any of them went down, which obviously almost, you know, I mean, we could talk about the Ronaldo thing in a, in a second. But you know, it, if one of them went down, there wasn't really anyone you'd be like. Oh, okay. That guy just slots right in. No. Well, on that on that, on that note, I just want to throw in because you you talk about that. There's a guy who starts the Scotland game, Giovanni Silva. He subbed off after 45 minutes, so you never see him again. In the in the, <laughs> Johnny I mean, Collins has, has finished him off. Yeah, I mean, was, does anyone know? What, <laughs> does Does anyone know what happens? Was he injured or was he just that bad that they never looked at him again in that tournament? Giovanni, the one who was at Brazil, uh, Barcelona at the time. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> idea. I don't know what happened to him, but that, that's definitely a player who, who who you heard about a lot of and kind of never really amounted to anything. Yeah. But there was the main, the main beneficiary was Leonardo that year. Just to, just to finish that off, the main beneficiary was Leonardo who took the shirt from then on. And yeah. played, very, played very well, if I remember rightly. It's funny, there was a lot of Brazilians around that time, though, that never really, you know, never really fulfilled their potential. Like, you think about, um, you know, Z, Roberto, Emerson, you know, talented players, but, you know, not 
didn't really sort of hit the heights that, that that you thought they might do. And there's a few Brazilians down the years that that sort of ended up being a bit like that. I mean, I mean, I always think about Robinho, like a few years later, yeah. uh, had I mean, unbelievable was, talent. But Nilsson himself wasn't he like the world's most expensive player at this point? Or yeah, about, yeah, well, yeah, about, he definitely yeah. was. Yeah, um, Betis bought him for an insane amount of money. He was the next big thing that they're going to be the greatest player in the world, as I recall. But, yeah, you know, he goes after this um, this World Cup, doesn't he? 20, 21 and a half million pounds he goes to Betis for uh, from Sao Paulo. Um, it's not clear whether that was before or after the World Cup, but I think it's um, it's the season after he goes to Spain. Yeah, so, you know, he never really amounted to certainly what that price tag w- was up to, you know. But he was just a step over merchant, if I remember yeah. rightly. Like what you know, yeah. sort of basically he was he was he was like first year of Man United Ronaldo that never kicked on. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. He's like everyone I play on FIFA. It's just skill base. Okay, so we're so- gonna I mean, should, should we talk? Should we talk about the Ronaldo, um, the, the the final Ronaldo, um, the conspiracy theories? Oh, I mean, it, it, it could be a podcast in itself. Um, just to kind of put the the context in, R- Ronaldo, the the supposed well, the star of the World Cup, really. I think he's he, he, does he win the does he win the Golden Boot this year? He he won the Golden Boot both both years. Yeah, he, yeah. So he's so he's. He's he's leading the goal scoring charts, and he's it kind of, I suppose the, the the media are kind of painting it as his sort of coronation really as the best player in the world, um against the against the hosts France who and obviously up until this hosts have never won a World Cup but since England in '66 so it's it's not sort of considered a a particularly uh, it's Italy in '34 as well <laughs> yeah that was before '66 um. So, um, so, and then on, on the night of the game, there's suddenly sort of a buzz around that that Ronaldo's not going to play, that he's that he's he's ill, that he's, and then when the when the teams are sort of announced, he's not in the starting lineup, and Edmundo's taking his place. Approximately, what it's about an hour before kickoff, it's suddenly announced that he is going to play, and, and and he doesn't he doesn't play well in the match, and obviously France hammer the Brazilians, and it was it was a very weird kind of um, evening, and since it's, it, it was revealed that he he was basically he was found being being sick in his hotel room, and um, the player the, his teammates were very concerned for his condition, and he kind of went off by himself and. They didn't think they'd, they'd be back, and then suddenly he's, he, he wants to play. He, he wants to he wants to try and help Brazil win. But and I, I watched a sort of an interview with I think it was Junior by, and it was on the uh, FIFA's Football Monday Al show that was uh, that was on Sky Sports, and he was saying that the, the Brazilians were teammates were so worried about they forgot about the final. Yeah, it was Bayano. I've seen the same interview. Yeah, it's it's believable. I mean, if you think that you've seen someone writhing around on the floor of a hotel room and now you're just worried about them making it through 90 minutes, uh, you know, it's, it's I don't have any heart on believing that at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're, it's definitely going to affect your mind. You know, it, it, it's got to. And we've heard lots of 
uh, conspiracies over the years about, you know, Nike owning the World Cup, France spending the money and FIFA wanting France to win. And, you know, the more stories you hear about Platini, the more you're likely to believe it. But, um, you know, it, it's you, you can't tell these players, these professional footballers to go out and drop a game. They, they're not going to do it, you know. You're in the World Cup final, you know, someone offers you whatever to drop the game. You're not going to do it. Who's going to do that? Even Bruce Grobelow wouldn't do that. Maybe, maybe, in, the it, maybe, maybe in the 70s. Maybe in the 70s. He'd, he'd, do it, he'd do it on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke, sure. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, is that uh, World Cup files and conspiracy theories, if you, if you go through the list... You know, there's actually quite a lot out there. Um, so, for example, in '54, uh, the the Hungarian uh, hotel, um, there just happens to be a local jazz festival that played trumpets outside their hotel room all night. <laughs> and you know, the uh, the Hungarian view on this has always been that the Germans paid the local umpa bands to, uh, you know. Uh, keep the Hungarians up all night. Um, th- like in, um, you know, in sort of, uh, trying to think, 30, I think it was 38, um, you know, obviously it was like Italy and the, you know, sort of fascist era, and they win the 34 and 38 World Cups back to back, and there's quite a lot of, of pretty dodgy stuff uh, that goes on in both of those tournaments, and obviously in the very early days of, of 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 kind of international football then so um it is you know you, you know the likelihood for corruption seems seems much higher i mean particularly with um you know with referees there's some interesting stuff there and um you know it's 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 actually something which has been surprisingly um prevalent through the history of the world cup these kind of stories about um you know the 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 favorites somehow losing uh, in in sort of strange circumstances I mean, it, it th- that whole Ronaldo thing was a strange circumstance. But for me, at the end of the day, you know, Brazil just weren't the best team at that World Cup. They got beaten by the better team in the final. And, you know, they were lucky to beat a team that I'd say was better than them in the semi-final as well. I just want to put on the record, I don't believe any conspiracy theory related to 1998. I don't think anyone poisoned him. I don't think... Uh, I, I don't think anyone tried to force him to play. I think the only person who insisted that he played was Ronaldo. If you look at him in the run-up to that game, he looks fairly determined up until the moment the whistle goes. Uh, this, I suspect what happened, to be honest, is that the pressure of having all that expectation, which is the dark side of, the, of Brazilian football, to be honest with you, uh, yeah. I, I think that just overwhelmed what was still a very young man. Personally. Yeah, I mean he's he's twenty one at this point. Yeah, twenty one. That that's you're twenty one. You, you're regarded as the best player in the world. The country's weight is on your shoulders. The whole world is looking at you uh, as an absolute blinder. And yeah, and it it was seen almost as a bit of a one man team once Ronaldo went down with the neutrals. No, not the neutrals, rather but the casuals, because Rivaldo is going to go on to have best player in the world kind of reputation. But we're a couple of years away from that really breaking through. And when Romario goes down injured, he's the other big superstar of that team. 
if you think about who had genuine casual name recognition, it's Ronaldo. So he's carrying the hopes of a nation in terms of uh, the spotlight of the world. And it's all on him. And for a team game, that doesn't happen all that often. Uh, certainly doesn't happen all that often to a 21-year-old. I mean, can you imagine that happening in this day and age? I mean, I suppose what we know now about uh, mental health and the amount of research that's been put into sports psychology and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't sound like there was anything like that available for Ronaldo. And, you know, it, it, to me, it sounds like he had a panic attack. Yeah, certainly some. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if it was some sort of, you know, um, very severe anxiety episode. But it's interesting, like that whole thing of carrying the nation's hopes, because, I mean, you only have to look at, you know, there's so many examples like, you know, 2006 and, and Wayne Rooney, 98 and David Beckham, you know, uh, from an English perspective, sort of basically two, uh, two players who do something, you know, in a kind of moment of madness that that kind of then you know, uh, leads to them being kind of the, the nation's villain when beforehand they were the nation's hero. It's it's a very unforgiving business, you know, top level professional sport. And I think, you know, um, you know, anyone that's watched uh, The Last Dance, you know, so that that mentality of elite sportsmen is just so unforgiving. Um, and, you know, imagine carrying that amount of like, you know, will to win with you all the time. It's it must be incredibly, must be incredibly draining. Um, but I mean, the great thing about Ronaldo is that he he gets the redemption, and and uh, that's one of the greatest things about sport. You know, it's you 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 get another chance to uh, to kind of to, to put it right, and um, you know, and not only that, like he 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 gets a chance to put it right, having suffered an incredibly severe injury, which you know, a couple of years before, you know, medically might have been career ending. So it's 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 an incredible story, really. You get another chance if you're as good as Ronaldo anyway. It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out for everybody. Yeah, and you're Brazilian. It, it helps that you're Brazilian. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that the, what, what, what people said earlier on about um, about Brazil is that they have this this psychological um collective societal scar over what happens to them in 1950 when they were by far and away the the favorites to win their home world cup were you know one nil up and uh cruising against uruguay um and they only actually needed to draw that game to win the world cup because that year they did this they did the uh they did it as a round robin the sort of the uh the final slightly weird format that year and um and they ended up conceding two goals in the last 10 minutes to Uruguay to, um, to, to somehow throw it away um, when they had, you know, 150, 160,000 fans in the Maracanã, like kind of watching them and expecting them to win. And it's kind of never gone away. And you kind of see it with the 7-1 um, against Germany in, in 2014, again at a home World Cup. You know, you see it um, here in 98. You, you kind of see it with the you know, the glamorous failures of 82 and 86. Like, um, it's funny, you know, Brazil, England, um, Holland, like these are major football nations that just have these, you know, these real psychological issues based around stuff that's that's kind of gone on in their past. 
1950 is the only World Cup I know of where the result uh, has led to uh, famously like uh, a spate of suicides in Brazil. Yeah, it was that big of a deal. Yeah, psychological scarring on a level normally that sport can't even kind of comprehend. That's that's why it's still relevant 70 years later. Yeah, well, it's, that, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that that's kind of what tells you that, that kind of shows you just what it means to to Brazil football. And, you know, we've all been in love with the game to a huge extent at points uh, for our life. But, you know, to that level. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's something different. You know, I've I've been to games home and away. I've my life has been built around watching football. You know, 1998, I watched every single game at that World Cup. Literally at the TV. When they had two games together, I had two TVs next to each other. Didn't miss a game, you know. And in between, I'd be out playing football, trying to do, you know, Burkamp touches and stuff like that. But, you know, never to that level. Yeah, it's 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 an incredible, I mean, it's an incredible culture. It's an incredible football culture, um, the Brazilian one. But it's it's funny that, that you know, they, um, they, they kind of, almost combine these two threads of wanting to be the great entertainers but also being desperate to win um and i think you know you kind of you kind of see what we talked about at the beginning this sort of um you know deployment of a a very solid base with a couple of flair players you know um and what's interesting about amongst many other things about 2002 is actually they increase the amount of flair players because in comes a young Ronaldinho to, to, to join Ronaldo and Rivaldo and suddenly um, it, it looks a lot more fluid. And then you've also got at the back, you have um, Lucio who is a, you know, domineering um, forward thinking central defender, like almost like a kind of, um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't quite go so far as to say a Brazilian Beckenbauer, but certainly a player that brings it out from the back and, you know, and likes to attack. And it's a much more attacking Brazilian team in 2002. And it's almost like, you know, they're going back to their roots of it. And yes, they've still got Gilberto Silva as a kind of, you know, very good holding midfield player. Um, but it is a much more buccaneering team. And you've obviously still got Cafu and Roberto Carlos bombing down either flank um, with their incredible engines. And I think, you know, that 98 loss kind of the reason that redemption in 2002 feels so good is they did it playing like Brazil, you know, and there's a five, you know, they, their group games are all, you know, apart from the, you know, apart from the, uh, the Turkey game, the, the group games are all clown scores. And, um, you know, they, they really do play some, play some great stuff in that tournament. And Ronaldo's reinvented himself as a sort of, as, as a very effective um, old fashioned number nine, you know, and he, yeah. he's in, he's in the right place at the right time. And he, and he finishes everything. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a tournament where it's good to be on their side of the draw because essentially mm. anyone good goes out very, very yeah. early in the tournament. I mean, we're racing, yeah. ahead, we're racing ahead a little bit here because th- there's a whole four-year stretch in, in between 98 and 2002 where there's this really brutal, the show must go on kind of attitude. Okay, you've just lost that that final, but it, that isn't how things go in Brazil. There's the next tournament to be won. And, the, and in 1999, they're in... Um, 
they're in the the Confederations Cup and they've got the Copa America. Uh, I think they win the Copa America that year, and uh, Ronaldinho emerges in those tournaments as well. So it's it's that not only is there the must win attitude going on in Brazil, but because there's these frequent tournaments that they're in, there's the conveyor belt of talent, and and someone else is always coming through. And in this case, it's Ronaldinho lighting things up. Uh, it, things wouldn't actually be all that smooth for him. It's not like there's a straight line from uh, from Ronaldinho. Uh, through from 1999 to 2002, we'll probably touch on that when it comes uh, uh, a bit closer to, to to the World Cup. But there's there's all sorts of stuff. There's these consistent refusals of various coaches, like Scolari for one, but also Vanderlei Luxemburgo, who ended up at Madrid for a cup of coffee, uh, refusing to call up Romario. Um, God, what else is there? There's this Rivaldo emerging as one of the great great players. And then there's this chronic, almost career-ending ending injury to, to Ronaldo that to, it's probably five years earlier, he, he, he never plays again. Yeah, we said that. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a terrible, it's a terrible sort of shame, especially after what happened to him um, at France 98, that he, he, he has that injury. And of course, you know, he'd, he'd come back and, you know, even though he's, I think he ends up with like ends up with like no cartilage in one knee or something, and uh, you know he is still the best player in the world on one leg, um, which is which is pretty pretty amazing. And I, th- I think I think that's the thing with Ronaldo is that you've got those two distinct phases to his career, don't you? It's like you know the sort of the the kids at Barcelona that I mean uh, you know that scores a goal, he runs the length of the pitch. Um, which is still one of the more ridiculous goals anyone's ever ever scored, I think. Um, and just had that amazing power, pace. He had everything, absolutely everything. Um, but then I love it when a player reinvents their game, you know, because of a serious injury. And he really did reinvent himself as a a, a very effective, you know, I guess the sort of high-powered Brazilian Alan Shearer is kind of what he ends up becoming. No, you were saying sort of um, in sort of preparation for this this episode that you know the the sort of the current sorry best in the world players in Messi and Ronaldo are considerably less engaging because they've never really had to go through anything like Ronaldo did in terms of adapting their game. I mean, I know you know as, as as time has worn on, Ronaldo has sort of made certain tweets of his game, but ultimately it's still pretty similar to what it was ten years ago. I think the Ronaldo story is far more interesting than than anything Ronaldo or Messi have, have put together in the last the last fifteen years or so. Yeah, it's just that they're, they're, I mean the thing is with them, they're both quite robotic, aren't they? I mean they're brilliant footballers, but but they they're you know they're sort of so obsessive about everything that it takes to be a modern day you know great footballer, whereas you, people like you know, Ronaldo and Ronaldinho, they, you know, they were playing for the love of it and simply for the love of it. And, you know, it, it's difficult to think of a time where Messi has ever looked happy playing football. No, he don't, does he? he, uh, he just but, don't. but he, you know, Ronaldinho just played with a smile on his face and he was just, you know, just happy delighted. Yeah, be on the pitch and doing this. Delighting everybody, you know, and just doing... You know, doing these these crazy elasticos and things that 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 kind of you just very rarely saw, and 
you know, I always remember the that no backlift finish against Chelsea, which is one of the maddest goals I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, what a player, um, and just sort of, you know, just lit just lit things up. And he 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 wasn't always kind of the most consistent player, but he was that much fun to watch. Um, and and for a, a span, you know, that sort of. 04 to 06 kind of span at Barcelona like he really was the you know the best in the world though no, no doubt about it but what what you've got there you know in in that uh, you know three-pronged attack you've got essentially for 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 Brazil in, in 2002 you've got Ronaldo like you said who's reinventing himself as a number nine but got all the finishing ability in the world you've got Rivaldo who I guess you'd say is a little bit more in that mold of uh uh, of a uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or a Messi in that he was mega talented, but you know a lot less personality than the other two around him. And then Ronaldinho, this kid who's you know how old's Ronaldinho in O2? He's got to be still pretty young. <laughs> still young, yeah, still a kid. He was t- yeah, yeah 20, you know, 21 or so I think. Tw- twenty one. He was just out there and just you yeah, know, twenty two he was. The audacity to even try that goal against England is just you know who does that <laughs> you know. And he very nearly doesn't go to the World Cup. That in 2001, Brazil are on their knees. Like there's no Ronaldinho. Ronaldo's injured, and they get knocked out of the Copa America by Honduras. It's a ludicrous turnaround in 12 months. A lot of it is contract issues with uh, Ronaldinho as he goes to to Europe from from Gremio to to PSG, uh, where they there was a. Effectively, like the kind of Brazilian equivalent of the Bosman ruling involved, and because it was disputed, he couldn't play for however long. And then when he came back, he wasn't fit and sharp and couldn't fit into PSG with an Elka and all these various issues to the point where the famous Ronaldinho to St. Mirren thing almost happened, which is just <laughs> ludicrous. Um, but yeah, once they ship an Elka out to uh, Liverpool on loan, everything turns around for him, and in the last year. He t- comes back and plays that wonderful role and sort of unseats Rivaldo as the eye-catching uh, member of the team. Ronaldo comes back and uh, f- from that injury and you go from losing to Honduras in a quarterfinal and Washington being their best scorer in the Confederations Cup to that tri-pronged attack. I mean, who even remembers Washington? It's a great, great Brazilian name, that, though, isn't it? Like, I love the fact that there's a guy who has played in Russia for years now for um, for Spartak, you know, and he's called Wellington. I just think that's, oh, that's mm, yeah. just absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the thing about um, Rivaldo at that World Cup is that what, he, what I'd forgotten about his game was just how good his, um, his passing was. You know, mm. some of his assists... Um, you know, whipping stuff in from the left wing, like absolute precision, you know, precision crossing. Um, you know, he was he was the sort of, you know, the creative force, you know, the guy that was dictating um, the play. Um, and I guess, you know, Ronaldinho was the sort of the guy with the box of uh, box of tricks on the yeah, other side. I mean, that's it. Ronaldinho was the maverick who'd do something special. Rivaldo was just doing it game in, game out, game in, game out. I mean, you know, if Ronaldo hasn't scored as many as he has, you know, 
Rivaldo's the best player at that tournament by a country mile, I think. You know, and I, and I think he probably is if you don't have that bias on goal scoring. But he scored how many? You know, he scored almost as many as Ronaldo, didn't he, in that tournament? The- the the other bias about him is that he's just an unlikable figure, Rivaldo, compared with Ronaldinho. Uh, this oh, is the World Cup where he gets the acting award for. Uh, was it Turkey that he uh, the ball hits his ankle and he grabs his face? It's the first group game and he gets a Turkish player sent off. But like, and it's needless. The game's the game's pretty much. I think the game's won at this point. They're already down to ten men after um, Alpi get uh, get sent off for um, mowing down. Da- I don't think it was, was it Ronaldo he mowed down outside the box? Um, they get the penalty, um, which Rivaldo puts away. And then uh, and then the, the ball gets kicked towards him and hits him in the knee. And he goes down in front of the linesman, clutching his Cut face his and face. gets the man sent off. Just, I, I, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Like you, you can still picture it. And that's... that's the thing about, about, that's the thing that I remember about him more than any, anything, anything the goals he scored any of the city laid on that's the thing i remember about him um, and, then and that's a real shame that that is a real shame but uh, but it's inevitable of course it's what you remember and, and maybe it's part of what made him the player that he was in that he you know he, he he didn't really care that he wasn't as loved as like ronaldo or ronaldinho was and he was it was just part of his it was it was part of his game um the other thing get, I'll point get out get you to Sudes territory there. <laughs> well, quite. Um, the amount of space that each of them created for the other, like you, you couldn't possibly pick up on all three. I think that was the most frightening thing about that front line was that you know if you marked Ronaldo out of the game, then you're going to give so much space to the other two. Um, if you keep if you keep kicking Ronaldinho to the ground outside the box. Rivaldo's going to put a free kick away. Roberto Carlos is going to put a free kick away. Any of them can put a free kick away. So it's such a dangerous lineup to to defend against because there's no safe way of, of defending oh, against them. Do you know what I mean, I'd say? I'd say it's a tactical masterclass by Big Phil here. You know, I think bearing in mind the two fullbacks you've got are probably the peak of their powers, each of them at this point. You know, Roberto Carlos on the left, Cafu on the right, you know. We, we all know Carlos isn't the world's greatest defender, you know, but getting forward, he's fantastic. Cafu, what what a brilliant two-way defender he is, you know. And But the fact that you're playing three centre-backs, he, Roberto Carlos has got a lot less to worry about defensively. And because you've got Carlos and Cafu running the line, those front three can play a lot, a lot narrower. And you just, you know... They'll just cause you problems. Who are you going to mark? Are you going to mark Ronaldo? Are you going to mark Ronaldinho? Are you going to mark Rivaldo? Can you mark everyone at the same time? And even if you do, yeah, you, you, you still got you still got people like this. Janino plays in this World Cup, and like we we all haven't watched the Premier League, we all know how dangerous he can be if you don't pick him up. Yeah, you know, no, no... but you've got like guys like Ed Milson and Lucio who can run the, run the field from the centre back and. Bang one and in it, as well. And even yeah. if you decide you're going to play narrow and take all three of them out, you've got to deal with Roberto Carlos and Cafu down the wings, and then you've got the aerial ability of. And so you've got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's now a number nine, not running on the stuff. He'll just nod it in. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think the other thing about about that sort of you know that interplay is actually I mean 
the the first goal against um, England, like obviously everyone always remembers the second one because it was the one that Seaman let float over his head like a complete, you know, salmon. Um, but uh, I maintain that was he just did his. He, Ronaldinho did his homework. I always thought it was a cross myself, but but I mean, you know, that might be doing Ronaldinho a disservice thinking about it. But but I think that the first goal they score, the interplay between Ronaldinho and Rivaldo with that goal is just like stunning. It's one of the best World Cup goals. So good. So, so good. Um, and the, the you know, annoying thing is, is that, you know, yeah, I mean. England are a much better side in that first half and it was a bit of a shame because they, they kind of let it run away from them after that but um, but yeah it was a, a yeah great team goal that you mentioned a little while ago a tactical masterclass that it's quite interesting because Janino is starting most of the the early games and when he's pulled off in uh, the second round there's a lot of consternation it's like they've taken off one of their best players he was actually matching these the three R's for, for quality in the eyes of a lot of the press at the time. And he never starts after that. The last three games, Scolari goes back to two defensive pivots in the midfield. He, go, he starts playing Gilberto Silva and, Cle- and Cleberson. So in a way, although there's only limited personnel that link these various sides together in, in the two fullbacks who were there from the early 90s and, and Ronaldo, the the tactics, the formation that win nineteen ninety four and two thousand and two, at least in the later rounds, it all comes back and it all ties together. You've got these two defensive midfielders, these three at the back, or three or four at the back, depending on exactly how they're lining up, because um, it varies in each in each World Cup, and then that just gives freedom to in two thousand and two. It's a few uh, uh, players in nineteen ninety four. It's it's probably just Romario and Babeto mainly, but. That's it, basically. That's the difference between that whole run, that was its eight-year run, and the equivalent eight years it from 82 to 90. Yeah, so it's interesting, actually, because, you know, I've always thought Brazilian football, yeah, does it rises and falls with how good those defensive pivots are. Um, and obviously Cleberson would not turn out to be the best defensive pivot when he went to Man United, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, Aaron Ferguson, for the record. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny, because... But, but again, a useful player for three games, and that was all they needed him to do to win a World Cup. And I was going to say yeah, as well that Roque Junior was rotten at Leeds United as well, wasn't he? So it's kind of a couple of these Brazilian players that made their way to the Premier League and, and, and weren't brilliant. But, you know, it is important that they had that that kind of stability and whenever they've they've like I mean they they obviously in the last sort of seven or eight years have discovered Casemiro who is that player for them now um and is you know obviously that player for Madrid too and is 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 exactly in that mould and of course you know Arsenal since Gilberto Silva left you know I'm, I'm sure uh you know anyone that that watches them would say you know they've they've missed that kind of a player since then yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> For the longest time. And, you know, like you say, maybe that is not what they've had up until now, Casemiro, that they, they've lacked. You know, you think, who have you had over the year? You've had Emerson, really, who took over that role after Gilberto Silva, didn't he, for, for Brazil? And who else has been in there? It's not, not, not certainly not been the same level as, as Dunga and Gilberto. 
They've had a conveyor belt of attacking talent, but these the people willing to do the dirty work have always been thin on the ground since since then. It's it's funny. There's there's currently a big debate uh, in Brazil over you know whether it's going to be Jesus or Firmino because the idea you know like the thinking is they're too similar and they can't play they can't play together. So it's basically kind of comes down to you know um, who is going to be the one that um, you know that matches up best with Neymar and up to now um it's it's been uh it's been jesus but then recently Firmino's had a few really good games for the national team and so it's, it's still a big debate at the moment is it going to be jesus or Firmino? so apparently the uh the debate now is over who's going to be the false nine so uh that's 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 the sort of a development in the kind of brazilian controversy there we go there's, there's always a new take on it as as football evolves so do those uh so do those arguments I'm just remembering, I don't know where this has come from, but didn't they lose a kind of holding player to Spain in the 2008 Euros? Obviously, you wouldn't play for Brazil in the Euros, but uh, Marcos Senna. Yeah, Um, and they lost Diego Costa to Spain, of course, as well. I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's, uh, because do you remember at at the World Cup in 2014, Diego Costa got the, you know, the sort of the biggest heel pro wrestling reception uh, any football has ever got anywhere. <laughs> sure, he, sure, he hated it as well. <laughs> exactly. He, <laughs> it was like, inject he, it into my veins. Oh yeah, he feeds on that, doesn't he? Not yeah. the best tournament for Spain, that, mind you. Um, no. That does remind me that you've mentioned it. Did you hear what he said about Luis Suarez joining Atletico? He said he was I was really looking forward to working with him because one of them kicks and one of them bites. <laughs> <laughs> it is like, I mean, just as a, just as an aside, right? Atleti, right? Never, ever change. The, the shithouses football <laughs> club just just never change. I love, absolutely just love them. Coming soon in an edition of four at the back to you. Okay, I mean, uh, we, we've, we've been talking about this for, for nine an hour now. So um, it's... Um, where where does this team stand in terms of the, sort of the great World Cup squads? I mean, certainly in the time that I've been watching football, which ironically my earliest footballing memory was that '94 uh, World Cup final with Baggio skying his penalty. Um, but um, I, mean, I can't think of a team that was that, that has gone on to win a World Cup that was as exciting as this and I suppose you kind of almost wanted them to do it I think you know teams since then like the clinical Germans the Spaniards who it was just all a bit it was just all a bit obvious you know as, as Englishmen we have we have sort of mixed feelings on the Italians anyway um has there ever been a team that has been like this much fun to watch that's actually gone on to win the World Cup I think it's, it's difficult difficult thing about this team for me in terms of how good they were is that that 2002 world cup is like unbelievably strange in terms of almost all of the big european sides like completely shit the bed and it essentially brazil and germany because basically are left with a clear run all the way to the final and it's probably the worst german team there's ever been and yet they find themselves in a World Cup final, um, which was which was kind of one of those really, really, really bizarre things. Um, so 
I think it's it, it's kind of difficult to kind of look at, at them and, and, and think, oh, you know, this is a uh, one of the great teams. But certainly in terms of being enjoyable to watch and a great redemption story, um, obviously it's 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 right up there. Um, you know, personally, I think I, I did get quite a lot of enjoyment out of watching that great Spain team and um, and got a, a great deal of enjoyment out of watching um, watching the 2014 German team as well. But but yeah, I, I, I sort of I, I kind of think obviously great starting lineup and all the rest of it. But it's funny, international tournaments, you know, they they fall as they fall, don't they? And you, you, you can't help that. But it was certainly a kind of easier run to the final than a lot of teams have had. I mean, here's the thing for me, right? Uh, and one of the interesting things we've raved about the talent in that squad, but you know, a lot, uh, you know, big Phil Scolari's reign as Brazil manager was, was, you know, aside from winning the World Cup, was hated, and you know, he he lost. Did he lose his job? Did he leave after this? You know, the the rumours are that it, he didn't play good enough, pretty enough football. He didn't he didn't win it in the Brazilian way. And that that's and people weren't happy about that, you know, which is crazy. You know, could you imagine we won the World Cup? Like we we we, we shit housed our way to the semi final last time, and we we were, we were to taken anything off off Harry Kane's knee, whatever, you know. However, it goes in, goes in. But you know, there was that. But what I would say about this group of players, you know, scattered around from from '94 couple of them coming through through to 2002 they were rock stars they're rock stars of football you know there might have been better players out there there might have been players who you know were more serious but you know as we talk about the the Ronaldo's the Ronaldinho's the Roberto Carlos's absolute rock stars there's money in them there's money in their image it's it's like Beckham you know these these guys were stars they were Galacticos you know and you had a lot of them in the team at that time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what resonates more for me. Uh, I, I, there's two things that I'd add. One is that I'm closer to your age, Joe, than, than these guys. So so my memories of Brazil really start with 94. Um, and then you find out some of this older stuff subsequently. I... And I also don't think that there is, I, I, this is slightly heretical. I'm not one of those people who believes there's a right way to play football. I, I find various styles of football entertaining. And to be honest, it depends on how well you play that style much more than, oh, this is a great entertaining side. So, so I'm a little bit wary about that because I realize different people find different things entertaining. I know, I, I know lots of people love the ticky tacker stuff and then other people find it like watching paint dry. So, so I'm a bit wary about that. But what I don't think you can deny is that 1994 ended this huge, long drought of Brazil not achieving at the very highest level. And it made them, to use Maz's word, rock stars. And Brazil have never really, really lost that, at least not until the last few few years, arguably. Brazil were the preeminent national team for my generation growing up that yellow shirt really did represent the apex of world football even when they didn't win the world cup uh in 98 i don't think that happens without this team i think 
Brazil potentially are well I, I, it's probably overstating it to say they're England but with three World Cups instead of one if they don't go on this run in, in through the 1990s but you don't have to worry about that because they did and this is the team and it's and it's Romario and it's Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Rivaldo and these these wonderful kind of array of supporting cast around them and they've just redefined what international football is all about and there's not many teams you can say do that over the span of as long as they did it I think there's there's this sort of enduring um, legacy of, of 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 this team and the '94 team and things like that. In that, you know, every amateur football team that you go and you, you that you go and watch, if they put if they string a few passes together or they score a wonder goal, it's just like watching Brazil. Barnsley uh, made that that chant up, you know. Uh, yeah, that, says, that says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> famously attributed, famously attributed to Barnsley. Yeah, Barnsley, it's just like watching Brazil. But it, but it, but it's, be, it's become universal. It's become sort of a universal language for this is great to watch. Um, and maybe, and maybe that's what it's more about than actually great success when it comes to um, football. But as you say, Pete, I think yeah, they they were synonymous with with sort of elite football around this sort of time you kind of that's you know teams aspired to 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 be a bit like them they kind of carried this sort of um this sort of fear factor um with them and so you know no one really wanted to draw them did they um so it's, it's curious that they they sort of it took them this long to um to to, to record a, a second and then, and then a third world cup any final thoughts on this on, on this wonderful team? I guess I, I think the only thing I'd say is that you know obviously it's a bit of a shame that 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 Kaka was a bit too young for this team because you know obviously 2006 he's the he's the big star now um, and and Kaka was a wonderful player but um, you know as as Kaka was ascending the rest of the talent was either getting older or kind of dropping off and yeah. so you never really you got a kind of yeah, yeah. sort of caca inspired brazil team because i mean out of all the brazilians he's he's my favorite he's my favorite i mean aside from socrates who obviously is just god um you know caca is is the guy that i enjoyed watching the most out of all of them do you know when they were having those problems with ronaldinho and it didn't look like he was going to make the 2002 world cup caca was the the heir apparent, the guy who was going to go in his place. Uh, he was only about 20 years old at the time, so he would have probably weighed about as much as a flea. Uh, but yeah, the, just at that last minute, he uh, he was Ronaldinho. He managed to find some form, and um, and so yeah, it didn't happen, and he had to wait four years later. And uh, they went out in the quarters to to the Netherlands, who finally got a measure of revenge. Is that right, or am I no, conflating years? Yeah, I'm, I'm conflating years, yeah. aren't I? 2010, they lose to. Yeah, France yeah. was it was the France game in 2006 was that last great Zidane game where he you know Zidane at the age of 35 or 36 just just did one last one last masterclass and I watched the highlights of that of of, of that game like at least a few times a year just just to see you know Zidane just turn back the clock it's what a completely magical game of football. So does that mean it's Zidane to Brazil one in a final reckoning? I mean, yeah, Zidane was was there. Uh, he he was there 
their chief tormentor, wasn't he? Does that mean Marco Matarazzi is better than all of them? Marco Matarazzi, the uh, you know the last Everton player to win a World Cup. <laughs> that can't be true, can it? <laughs> <laughs> no worry, Calvert Lewin's got the next one in the bag. <laughs> Um, There's already talk about a Calvert-Lewin statue outside Goodison up here. Yeah, you know, and you want to talk about Brazilian holding midfielders coming back in. Look at Alan, telling you. Everton have got everything this year. I mean, Birmingham have named a stand after Jude Bellingham by now, haven't they? So, what are you going to do? (laughs) Retired his shirt. Name the the ground after him next, won't they? It's embarrassing, isn't it? Most <laughs> embarrassing thing ever. I mean, at least the, at least it was named after a player and not a chairman. Yeah, that is pretty bad too. Yeah, there, there was a campaign for a long time to rename it uh, the Doug Ellis stand, the Peter Witt stand, um, and then Doug Ellis died, so the campaign kind of died with him. Awkward. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> right. We're gonna we're gonna leave things there for for tonight. We're gonna uh, have a quick look towards next week. Next week we're gonna look at uh, Newcastle United, and we're gonna look at Sir Bobby Robson's uh, two thousand two two thousand and three team. Um, uh, this is probably the last really good Newcastle United team, and uh, it, it gives us the opportunity to um, to look at one of sort of England's greatest managers as well. Uh, so. Yeah. Just to interrupt, but I just want to point out that you don't mean the last today. You mean the last ever really good Newcastle United team, right? Quite possibly. <laughs> um, I mean, look, we've been on a, on a downward spiral ever since, so uh, it, it, it could well be. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it'll be nice to talk about some positive things about uh, about the men in black and white, but uh, that, that'll be all for next week. Um, we'll, we'll all get our Craig Bellamy anecdotes ready. Bellamy, Boya, <laughs> Kira it's, 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 it's a rogues gallery. Lovely bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we find Titus Bramble around this time as well. So uh, we, it, 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 it's nothing Actually, like watching Brazil. Tying these two episodes together, there's a very bizarre picture of when Ipswich were in the UEFA Cup uh, where Titus Bramble is tangling with Ronaldo. Um, which is one of the more cognitively dissonant pictures I think I've ever seen. <laughs> that, that might be the title image for, for next week's show, actually. I think it's going to have to be. Straight, <laughs> yeah. straight, on, straight on the Instagram, that one. <laughs> um, so, until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>